Welcome back once again. We've got episode number 59 of the Wheelhouse Podcast right here on Root Sports. I'm Aaron Goldsmith, Mariners broadcaster, joined as always by the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry DePoto and Colin O'Keefe. And uh, if you are new to the broadcast here on Root Sports, a quick reminder on how this works. We go for close to an hour with Jerry on each edition of the Wheelhouse Podcast. We can only fit just under half an hour right here on Root Sports. We're glad you're with us for the next half hour or so. But if you want the entire conversation, you can find the Wheelhouse Podcast wherever you find your podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever that might be. Well, Jerry, normally this is your uh, rare time that you can get on TV, but you were on TV for nine innings in North Little Rock. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since you have returned from uh, your color analyst duties from Game 1 of the Texas League playoffs with the Travelers. How has stardom treated you in the days to follow? Well, I, I, I'm still having a tough time coming down from it, <laughs> the, the experiencing what it's like to be the talent. Oh, I know, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, you know, people rolled out the red carpet, and, and uh, I felt like anything short of sending a limo to the, to the Little Rock Marriott to pick me up would have... Uh, would have fallen short. It was it was an awesome experience. I hope that we get the chance to do it again someday. There, and not just for for a playoff game, but a great opportunity for for our fans and even for our organization to to connect with our market in in Arkansas and to promote our young players. There there are a lot of good players on that on that Arkansas club, and hopefully, albeit if just for a night, the 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 stories the the Watching good young players move around the field was a, a treat for our fans that I hope we can provide a little more often. You know, I have so many questions for how that night went. Unfortunately, we were in Houston. We had a night off of the Mariners, and we couldn't watch the broadcast. We tried to. We found an establishment in downtown Houston who uh, paid the six ninety nine a month to get all the regional sports packages, but they black out live play-by-play events. Believe it or not, and I told O'Keefe this, uh, our producer, Curtis Wilson, on TV went to this place uh, an hour or so before the game began, and he sent me a picture. They had the Wheelhouse podcast on Route Sports in a restaurant in downtown Houston, which I thought the global reach now. Colin, congratulations on the podcast. We've gone, I know we're international in terms of the audio only, but we are now in multiple regions, including the Southwest, on TV. So well done. There we go. If you're watching this in a bar in Houston, Thank you for joining us Hello today. once again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, uh, as soon as the game was scheduled to start, it went all black and we were bummed and out of luck. Uh, so first of all, did you wear makeup? I did not wear makeup. I knew you wouldn't wear makeup. Even with the heat, of, it had to be hot. That, that's why I wouldn't wear makeup. <laughs> no, but the, you know... Frankly, I'm I'm better left to radio. That is, uh, you know, I've got a face for radio. I hear, but the in in all seriousness, crazy hot. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is, you know, kudos to to the gang at Root Sports for bringing this together so quickly. You know, they were only dealing with four cameras to work with, which I, from what I understand, is about a quarter of what they would ordinarily have to produce a game like that. And we didn't have uh, a camera in the booth. So it's a, uh, so we were doing a TV broadcast and, and didn't have uh, a camera in the booth. And, you know, I thought Brad did a great job and we had so much fun in, in just telling stories about our young players and, and in the time leading up to the broadcast and the group down there in Arkansas, you know, from from the front office group to ownership and even the fans around the club had so much fun with it. It was a, it was a blast. Did you ever consider what it might be like for a young double A player in this case to be playing in what is you know, the most important game of the season? It's the playoff game for the Travelers. 
and to have their general manager up in the broadcast booth uh, watching them and talking about them to what they hope is their uh, current and really future fan base. Uh, and that would be in some ways really exciting. And in other ways, it might make some guys kind of nervous. What do you think about that? I didn't really consider the nervous part. And I will say that most of the players seem really energized by it. They were excited. Even to the point where the night before, when you had a workout on the field the night before, there were a number of players talking about it. Like, we got to get ready. Big really? TV game. That's yeah. cool. And, you know, I remember back to the 90s as a, as a player before baseball was so, I guess, consumable on TV. When ESPN started to do multiple games a week, I think they did uh, like Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, where I'm coming up with the Cleveland Indians, and we had a, a smaller market club. We did broadcast our games, but it wasn't a, an elaborate uh, production. And when they started doing national games, the, the first time you were ever really on national TV, it felt like a big deal, and and you would run into the broadcasters that you that for the last handful of years you'd watched on only on Sunday nights, and and now all of a sudden your young team is, is playing in front of a, a national audience or even a big market audience because you know in Seattle while we would consider ourselves a, a mid market team among the thirty in, in Major League Baseball, you know. To, to the people in Little Rock, this is this is a big market. And and to the kids who are playing there for the Travs, this is the market that they want to make their, their or put their stamp on. How have you viewed it in terms of young players? And we'll include double A there. And even a guy like Julio Rodriguez, who ends the season in the Cal League and a very young player for sure. The amount of attention, especially in this organization with such an eye on the farm this year in particular, that these young players are getting now each year, it becomes higher and higher profile, and a lot of Mariners fans, and especially those who consume our podcast, they know all about these guys. And if you go back 10, certainly 15 years ago, if you were even a really good prospect in AA, maybe not that many people at all in your eventual market know anything about you. There's been a huge change in this game in the last, call it, decade or so. Absolutely. And, and in so many ways, those young players, the prospects around the league, are the most coveted players in the game. Whereas I, I know if you flash back 10, 20, 30, 40 years in baseball history, the most coveted players in the game are usually the best players in the big leagues. That's not always the case anymore, depending on where you are on the wind curve. And, you know, we know, we knew going into this season what our what our goals were and, and what our season was going to be about. And we had an idea where we were going to be on the wind curve. And, you know, right now, our goals are to build toward those young players. And I guess in years past, you used to be able to promote young players as something greater than, than maybe they were. In today's time, with so many advanced analytics that are available in the public domain with video feeds and, and the like, anything from Twitter to minor league baseball TV, it, you can get called out on it pretty quickly <laughs> if they're not as good as you're professing that they are. When you go back and think about your nine innings as an analyst, was it difficult for you to enjoy watching the game when you were working the game or did it not feel like work at all i mean you were right next to brad adam after all yeah I, it didn't feel like work at all and and i and i could probably attribute some of that to brad adam he's a pro's pro jerry uh, 
I, I actually said I actually said to my wife after the broadcast was over, I said, boy, what a nice, relaxing day at work. I said I was I kind of showed up. I, I talked into a microphone and it was over. I just went home. It's <laughs> a great gig. Yeah. I, I, instead of the, the, the laborious day that leads up to the game and then after the game having to deal with all the, 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 the red tape, so to speak. Now, I, I, I enjoyed the, the, the time. And it was fun for me to talk about the game in a, in a different way. I, you know, we'll talk about what we're watching every night when we sit here and watch the Mariners play. If I'm out at our affiliates, I will sit there with whoever is with me. Uh, it could be a scout. It could be another front office member or somebody with our PD group. And I'll talk to them about what we're seeing. So I guess this was just an instance of sticking a microphone in front <laughs> of me. All right, go ahead. You know, talk about what you're seeing. I'm calling from what I can gather, what I can is really just me guessing. I mean, this is like unprecedented, right? I mean, there's never been a front office executive, a general manager provide color analysis on a TV game for a minor league affiliate like ever. This was really cool. It was really cool. And not only to have the insight on our players, but also, of course, the opposing players on the drillers as well. I mean, we talked about it before. Baseball's such a small world. The player that might be on the drillers or whoever else is a player that you spend hours looking at in the draft uh, may have you know looked at in trade talks and that type of thing. So it was really interesting to one, yeah, get the perspective on our own guys, but also yeah, to have the stories on their starter, all different types. Are you of trying, guys. trying to say that Jerry might trade for somebody? No, never. When would that ever happen? No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of. The, the, the cushiest, easiest job in the That's world. Weird. Yes. To explain, I mean, we get this question all the time for you, Aaron. What is day-to-day life like for a broadcaster, somebody who does TV, who does radio, who does national games? Like, how do you orchestrate your entire schedule? Uh, it's a lot of nerd time, man. I mean, seriously, it's a lot of... I, I've thought about this before, and I've talked to a lot of my colleagues with other teams in particular about this. Like, what we would do as broadcasters without... The baseball reference play index without fan graphs. Baseball savant has become so much more user friendly in recent years, and the search tool capabilities of that are off the charts. And I can find, and I know people in my line of work can find themselves in one rabbit hole after another for hours before we even show up to the ballpark looking at anything and everything, uh, whether it be historical reference points for what we might be anticipating or seeing in that particular night, what we think might happen. Uh, trends, or even just, I mean, the nerd stuff, Jerry, that Savant lends ourselves available to. I mean, if I want to know who the best hitters against a fastball are based on average or slug, or if I want to see who the best non-fastball hitting teams or players are, I mean, that's like, we're talking one small fraction of a percentage of things that we could look up. I have bookmarked on my computer that I go into each series just kind of curious about and see if we might see any of those guys in front of us on that particular night. I, it, what it does for me, and I know, Colin, you dabble in this stuff all the time and more than dabble, is that if you're a curious baseball fan, all you have to do is know how to ask the right questions and you can find almost any answer you want. And it makes being a baseball fan today in this era so powerful and so enjoyable, really, for that matter. And I know you are a baseball fan more than you are anything else, Jerry. And if you weren't doing this for profession, You'd be looking at all those websites to yourself. Oh, I do. <laughs> and, and I'm the most likely person to nerd out on, on, in that type mm-hmm. of environment. I will say that I have the, also the great benefit to have what I think is it's the most powerful tool that I have access to every day is our proprietary database. You know, we have an in-house database. We call it Trident. And, uh, and 
virtually any information you want on any player in professional baseball from the size of their shoe to their contract status to to any kind of sophisticated you know I, I guess boutique analysis we have that and you know it's one-stop shop where if you want trackman detail stat test stat cast detail or standard performance uh, and then you we can do sorts versus comparable players or just sorts through historic players and uh, and it's a uh, to me it's 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 a remarkable tool and and what it can provide it to us in our decision making process is huge and i can get lost in it as as quickly as you can snap your fingers and before you look up half of your day is gone and and and, and i'm scratching my head like oh my gosh i gotta get out of the chair because my watch told me i have to <laughs> 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 yeah how, how did you how did you and i know it wasn't just you you have a, a whole team of people how do you build trident so i wish i was smart enough to to tell you how it's been done you know Dave Curry uh, in our IT department and the, and the group that he works with day in and day out. You know, I, I probably you know shout out to Shelly and the group down there. They have done a remarkable job of basically taking whatever vision we have and bringing it to life. And you know, this this predates my arrival in Seattle. Uh, you know, and, and kudos to, to Jeff Kingston to Jesse Smith for a lot of the inputs that they've provided through the years in building this out. And I could go back through with numerous people who worked here prior to my arrival that maybe imagine this. But, you know, years ago when I was with the, the Red Sox, so this dates back to 2003, 2004, the Red Sox started building their own proprietary database. And, and I think they were the, the first, the, the Red Sox and Yankees, the first to, to really go that route. It's not a cheap endeavor, but to, and if you have the, the IT capacity and – and I'll flash forward however many years later, 15, 18 years later, when I sit down and, and meet with Kevin Mather and with John Stanton and with some members of our ownership group who all come from the world of, of information technology. Eric, the, the one thing I was told is that with the, with the Mariners, we should never be behind in terms of technological capabilities. So anything that we can dream up or come up with, we throw at our IT group. Sometimes it takes three weeks, sometimes it takes three months, but but it comes back as a wonderful product that is easy to navigate, that provides us with all the information that we want. And it's a we, we've we've been able to to shift it to whatever we want it to become. And I, they do a remarkable job. It, it, it truly is. We get inputs that are happening in real time from our scouts around the world. Uh, it boots up immediately. Whereas 20 years ago, if I'm in the scouting world, we had to replicate our database on a nightly basis, you know, which was a joke. I mean, before I, a quick funny story, uh, there's, and I'll let you speak a word in a minute, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm scouting again, working with the Red Sox. And at the end of the night, you, you, you build in all your reports and you had to, you had to be connected to the internet and, and, and then hit replicate. You know, you replicate your, your database and roughly it sends your reports into the home office. You know, almost like a fax machine. Is, is, and now it's so much more sophisticated than that. The report goes in and it's in, you know. You just, uh, it's, it's there and you can see it. Well, there happened to be one day where I filed, I don't know, it's my 15 reports. I just finished seeing a, a, a club in the minor leagues. And, and, uh, and I take my computer from my desktop and I put it down on the floor and I hit replicate and then start working on, you know, my other, my, my, my home computer on something of a different project while my work computer was replicating. 
and I had just gotten a French bulldog puppy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I go to bed and I come down in the morning and my daughter, my youngest daughter at the time, she said, Daddy, is that your work computer that's sitting on the floor in your office? And I said, yeah, yeah. It, it usually takes like 15 hours for it to replicate. It took that long. She said, uh, I think Buster ate it. And I said, what? She said, yeah, he likes bright things. What? <laughs> so Buster's no longer with us. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. But the, the Buster ate my computer. So I, I Like he I, just nodded to death? He, he started eating the edge of it and kind of ate into it and ink permeated the screen and the computer was done. And, and uh, the replication did go through just so, so that you're not... Well, I was very worried about, about the that. replication. So I, I had to pick up the phone and call the, the, the group in Boston and say, guys, my dog ate my computer. Can you send me a new one? <laughs> you know, the reaction was, you know, part comedy, part how could you be right. this era? You're on the payroll? Yeah, that's right. Wow. All right, so we've come a long way. Yeah, we really have. Have you ever found, uh, when you're looking at some of your internal numbers on Trident, have you ever found maybe one of your numbers for a player or a club uh, differs maybe more than just somewhat, maybe substantially from something in the public domain that you find on fan graphs or baseball reference? And how, if so, if that's ever happened, how do you react to that? Oh, very much so. And because, and, and again, credit to Jesse Smith and, and our analytics group, John Chenier and Joel Furman, formerly Ben Aronow, who's now on a bike ride to, to Southern California and no longer with us, but uh, Forrest Diamond, David Hesselink, who's technically not an analyst, but makes a lot of contributions. Uh, Emily Curtis. So, so many people that, that contribute every day to coming up with more sophisticated analysis. And what we have done is created our own proprietary grades for everything from individual pitches. And like baseball reference, we measure them to, to a league average, a 100 scale. Uh, so we may open up an individual, you know, say, for instance, uh, a, the, the, the reports for Austin Adams. And we are going to have very specific information on how his fastball, or more specifically his slider, relates to league average. And we're gauging it by what percentage it's better than the average pitch in the big leagues. You know, we have we have catcher framing information that goes down to rookie ball. That and and yeah, I, I wish I could tell you how John Chenier came up with this the the. the the, the algorithm that supplies him with this information, but it's phenomenal. So we, we are we are now able to assess when a scout's telling us, you know, it used to be, and I, and, and I scouted behind the catcher for years, and and the, the running joke in scouting was, you know the catcher's good when you never see his face. Otherwise, how do you really know? And, you know, I, I think the the what John has come up with, which is a more sophisticated way of looking at pitch framing, is is so helpful to us in making decisions, including, say, the acquisition of Tom Murphy, who in the public domain winds up coming out historically coming out as about an average receiver. And we saw something more exceptional than that in, in the way he catches the low ball. And as, as a result, well, I won't say that's the only reason we acquired him, but one of the reasons we acquired him. And that's proven to be true. And now it's actually proving to, to, to show up on some of the, 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 the public yes. metrics because he's playing more. Mm. And, and you get more of a, a, a sample size to work with. Our, our people do a remarkable job of, of creating tools for us to use and making our decisions. Well, we are recording this in advance of Game 1 of the homestand against the Cincinnati Reds, and it's a really exciting day 
For the Mariners, a number of September call-ups with the Traveler's season coming to a close, Jerry. And first of all, the first number one pick you had as the general manager of the Mariners, Kyle Lewis, I think even the average kind of casual Mariners fan knows the trials and tribulations that he's been through with that really severe knee injury within the first handful of games, really, of his big league or his professional career with Everett. Jerry, the time has come. He is now. He is in Seattle. He has a name placard in the clubhouse at T-Mobile Park. This has got to be, obviously, an over-the-moon day for Kyle, but a thrilling day for you as well. It really is. And I, I mean, first of all, you won't find a better person than Kyle Lewis. And, you know, it's he was our first-round pick, I uh, believe if it was 11th pick overall in the 2016 draft, coming off of winning the, the Baseball America College Baseball Player of the Year Golden Spikes Award as a, as a junior at Mercer uh, down in Georgia. And a, a smaller school guy who did phenomenal things in college, who went up to Everett and was posting an OPS, if, if memory serves, about 950, and and wound up in an unfortunate collision at, at home plate as a 21-year-old, 20-year-old, actually, he was a 20-year-old draftee, 20-year-old uh, that set him back probably about two full years. And, and over these last two years, we've watched him get on the field and play more regularly. And the progress he's made has been steady. And then the second half of 2019, we really started to see him take off. And particularly in June and July, his performance started to, to really peak. And you know, Kyle's season this year on the surface looks pretty ordinary, but he's playing in an unbelievably difficult ballpark to hit in for especially for right-handed hitters and those internal metrics that we talk about we have Kyle Pegg as being a better judge of the strike zone he will swing through strikes that's that, that's part of Kyle Lewis with big power comes an occasional miss but he swings at the right pitches and he hits the ball harder than anybody we have in our system and we have a system with guys like Evan White and Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez that hits the system the, the ball particularly hard Kyle has been chief among them this year. He hits the ball hard, and, and we're really excited to see him get the opportunity to make a lifetime dream come true. And, uh, and we're going to – we, we will not – everybody will have a tear in their eye when he runs out there because they know how hard it's been for him over these last four years. And this is the classic example of a guy who was the first-round draft pick and, my goodness, looks like a first-round draft pick, and he looks every bit of a big leaguer. We noticed that. And we talked about that a long time ago in spring training. I mean, he he's continued to grow <laughs> as an adult man, which seems like it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing. And but, but Kyle, to me, he is taller than the day he was drafted, or at least that's the way it appears. Uh, he checks in that way. He looks like you said. It, it's it's he's a phenomenal athlete. He, he walks out on the field, and you know the old scouting adage used to be, you, you can tell who the guys are when you when they walk off the bus. You would pick Kyle out when he walks off the bus as, as a guy. And I, I fondly recall Tom McNamara, who was then our scouting director and is now a special assistant to the general manager, uh, T-Mac walking into my office in the spring of 2016 and just giddy after coming back from watching Mercer play and say, I think I found our guy. And it was, it, frankly, Kyle was such a pop-up guy. He wasn't, he wasn't widely regarded going into that draft as as being a top 10 pick and this is I mean, February of that year so it's very early and my initial thought is wow 
Max, Max quick to the trigger here. <laughs> and, uh, and he was spot on. We were so excited when he fell to our pick because ultimately that's what happened. He had ascended draft boards so quickly that there was some conversation going into the draft that he had a chance to be 1-1. And you know, the way the draft works now is so unique because we are able to, to, to have discussions with players or their representatives before making a selection, which was not the case prior to 2012. So in today's draft time, with working from in a slot system where you're working from a draft pool of money, you want to maximize the returns on your pool of money. So when you go into those drafts, say, for instance, the team with the one, number one pick in that draft, which that year happened to have been the Philadelphia Phillies, the Phillies go in with a, a draft pool of X, and they're trying to figure out how to maximize that pool. And it might be that they spend less on the first pick and redistribute some of the money through other picks. And in so doing, you're constantly trying to navigate. And when you're in the top 10, and it's an experience we're going to have in 2020, you want to you wanna figure out how to make the most of your picks because when you're picking first and 28th and 42nd, you want to make sure you're getting the most talent you can get. And sometimes that is by overpaying players with the second and third pick. By, by cutting a deal with the guy first. So many of the teams that were in front of us in 2016 had pre-cut deals with the players that they were selecting that lo and behold, Kyle Lewis starts making his way to us. And you know, it was really, we were, we were over the top excited when we were able to, to bring him in. And, and then obviously the great disappointment when he was injured, but so excited to see his big league debut. I can't think of a prospect who deserves to have that moment more with what he's been through. I remember from my perspective, 2016 was my first year with the Mariners. So I'm just getting used to, hadn't worked to professional sports, hadn't done any of this type of stuff, but was a huge Mariners fan. And I remember being in Ellis Pavilion, just adjacent to the war room that you guys had going. Uh, Fernando Alcala, who is now with the Oakland Athletics, leading their baseball information department. I'm off to the side on a table trying to stay out of view of the media because we're working on who it's going to be, what the announcement is going to be. I'm getting ready to tweet it out. And Fernando comes over and lays out probably four or five press releases. And he goes, this is the guy. We'd love to get him. There's no chance he's going to get to us. We think we'd love to. They'd love to get him. But there's no chance this is who it's probably going to be. And it was, yeah, we ended up getting Lewis. We were all ecstatic. But in like a funny story, one of the other guys on those releases was the universe works in bizarre and mysterious ways. Justin Dunn was a guy on another one of those releases. So it's amazing to see them come up together and could not be more excited for Kyle. I've seen him numerous times over the years and can't wait to go out to the clubhouse right after this and say hey to him. He's, and he's playing really well right now. He had a very good North Division playoff series down with the Travs. But, you know, I, I think the that I, I'll remember fondly in that draft – we were, were effectively in a position now where we're starting to get ready to cut our deal with the 11th pick. And the three players that we were focused on in that moment were, were Kyle Lewis, who appeared to be slipping in our direction, but we still didn't believe would quite get to us, a high school pitcher named Forrest Whitley, uh, who wound up signing with the Houston Astros, and Justin Dunn. And we had, we had engaged the, the, the Dunn camp and and started to work through what a deal would look like with the Mariners for, for to make him the 11th selection. And then lo and behold, Kyle just 
kept falling to us. And, and ultimately, we, we, we called Kyle literally minutes before we were getting ready to select him because that's how and, – and effectively said, we're not going to try to cut a deal here. We're just going to pay you. We, we're ecstatic that you made it to the 11th pick. So, uh, but our, our, our backup plan was Justin Dunn. And the, now to, to have the experience of having both – and I will say this, that as much as, as I admire – Kyle Lewis for who he is and how he's come through this. Just a wonderful person he is. Justin Dunn is in the same, you know, category. He joins them today and making their big league debuts. I guess Kyle will. Justin will in a couple of days. But uh, also an unbelievable human being. Really well. I, I just I can't think higher of of the character level of two young players than I do of those two. So Dunn gets taken eight picks afterwards by the Mets. You, of course, acquire him this offseason part of the Diaz and Cano deal. When you struck that deal and Justin Dunn joined the organization, did you have it in your mind that this was a possibility that he would be able to have a successful enough first season in the organization that in September he'd be able to come up from AA and, and make his major league debut? Yes, in, in a word. And, and largely that's because, and, and the same is true of Kyle, this is their Rule 5 protection year. So by sometime before, so that's a hard yes, a hard yes. <laughs> so they, they were going to, they were going to be put on the forty-man roster regardless because of how much we think of their their future potential, their prospect value. If we did not put them on the forty-man roster by November, then they would be exposed to the the, the Rule Five draft, potentially picked away by somebody else for a hundred thousand dollars, which we were not going to let happen. The fact that that both of them went off, and and you could say the same thing about Donnie Walton and Art Warren, who also joined today. But the the idea in putting them on the the twenty five man mm-hmm. roster is that they all had good to exceptional seasons. They are all ready by, by their experiences. They're somewhere between the ages of twenty three and twenty six. Uh, they're ready for their opportunity. They they have uh, they've done what we needed them to do, and especially in the cases of Justin and, and Kyle. These are premium prospects who went out and had really good years, and and this is their reward. What's the single thing from Justin Dunn on the mound, on the field, that impresses you the most, what he's able to do? Confidence. Uh, You know, the best pitchers in the game are oddly confident. You know, they, they, well, why is it odd if they're the best pitchers in the game, Jerry? Yeah, they know. And and, and maybe that's the what kept me... <laughs> they're, they're oddly confident. So, you know, Justin, he also happens to have an exceptional slider. So, you know, Justin operates 90 to 95 with his fastball. He usually sits 92, 94. Um, and he has, I think, what is very good command of the glove side of the plate. He can really elevate a, and backspin a fastball near the top of the zone. And he's got an exceptionally good slider. We've seen a lot of growth from him with his changeup this year, but it's the conviction with which he throws his pitches that really stands out. Those are the and, and I, I would say if you've watched, especially in his last outing, you know that the Justice Sheffield has this trait. When Justice is is going good, he's got an air about him that is you know he's got this. It's like O'Keefe. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, <laughs> Justin has this. You should that see same O'Keefe color. after a great tweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Colin, yeah. just 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 tone it back. 
Just simmer it I'll down. I'll try. Cell phone drop? Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Only if he has Apple Care. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're so excited about those two guys and two more that we're eager to see. Uh, first of all, since we're talking pitching, let's stick with Art Warren. I mean, this was a guy that uh, had a lower body injury, a couple of them this year, and looked like he would not be healthy enough to come up and join the 25-man or, or the 40-man uh, before the season's in. But he's obviously healthy and has had a productive enough season to warrant the uh, promotion at the end of the year. I really Art's been in the system for a bit now, and you know this was his Rule Five protection year, and you know we had had discussions about what to do with Art's situation throughout the year, and you know he has had some, I guess, issues staying on the field for a variety of reasons, most of them small nagging type injuries through the years. This year he stayed healthy, he stayed out there and pitched. He led the Texas League in saves with a sub two ERA. Uh, Art's fastball will reach upwards of 100 miles an hour on a good day. I mean, it's a he is somewhere between 95 and 101, uh, and and it is he is big, he is physical, uh, and he has a really good fastball. He also has a really good breaking ball. His slider is a real weapon. Um, Art also has a really deep voice. Oh, the pipes are unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's, he's got great pipes. And and what we watched with, with Art, and, you know, some of it is experience in the system. Some of it is a belief in, that, in what we're doing over these last four years in player development. But Art became a ringleader, a, a leader among a team that really had quite a bit of leadership with guys like Kyle and Justin and Evan White, particularly Cal Raleigh later in the season. Uh, Art became a voice. Donnie Walton, who joins him today, Art became a voice with that group and and brought life to a clubhouse in in so many ways. And I and I I hope he's able to take that same energy. And if we can replicate the post game celebrations that that go on in Arkansas by 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 way of Art Warren, then we're all better for it. And what are we talking about here? So that when the Trabs win a game, and that this was on display after. Game one of the, the the North Division series that we were there for just last week. Uh, when the Travs win a game, it is it's a celebration. Have fun. You you just won a game. It's a uh, the lights go out in the clubhouse. The disco ball goes on and starts spinning, and you know the the, the fan is turned on and baby powder starts flying around the room. <laughs> oh, no. And and uh, and Big Art gets on the table in the middle of the room with the Arkansas victory flag and starts and starts doing a dance and 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 spinning the victory flag and it's a, uh, it's awesome to see that the the group all dances and jumps around and and it's a. Uh, the, the enthusiasm that they have, how much they care about each other, how much they want to win together, is a, it's, it's as remarkable a, a clubhouse environment as I've ever seen. Credit to, to the players there. Credit to Mitch Canham and Pete Woodworth and, and Kyle Wilson, the staff who, who brought that all together. And credit to Andy and Carson Vitale, the guys in our player development system who, who bring it to life every day. Because that, that group really embodies the spirit of what we want to be. And uh, so many of those players are either on their way here now uh, or already here. And, and that's going to affect our clubhouse, what we think is in a really positive way. You can't help but love these guys. Donnie Walton, you mentioned his name a moment ago. He's the last of the four to talk about. We've spent so much of the offseason and during the season talking about uh, so many other players other than Donnie Walton. But Donnie Walton is here. He's had an exceptional season with the Travelers. Tell us about him. You know, Donnie is, and I, and I've, I don't want to undersell what Donnie does on, on the field. Donnie can hit. 
Donnie really controls the strike zone. Might be the single most adept controller of the strike zone that we have in our system. Uh, it is he he puts the bat on the ball. He doesn't strike out. He does draw his walks. He's been roughly an on base machine, and and he does it from a top of the lineup spot. He is uh, he is a what you would call an undersized player. It's a he's he's strong in stature, but he's not gonna you know he's not gonna win any height contests. But he goes out and he plays a big man's game. He gets on base. He drives the ball around the field. It's not excessive over the fence power, but he's going to have 10 or 12 home runs over the course of full seasons, which he just showed, again, in a really tough hitter's environment. And and he plays a very steady middle infield. He can play both shortstop and second base. He has some experience playing third. We're going to give him an opportunity to move around the field. Uh, Now, Donnie grew up. A coach's son, you know, he went to Oklahoma State, played big college baseball, and was our fifth round pick in 2016. That same year as Kyle joined the system, and he's he's done nothing through the the course of his time with the Mariners except show leadership skills and the ability to to really manage the strike zone, which is valuable to us. Let's talk a little bit about your baseball ops department this time in the calendar year as we start to get closer and closer to the off season. What is going on right now in baseball ops? Mostly we're planning for the offseason. We we have every year we go through, I guess, exhaustive meetings regarding minor league free agency, which is a big deal to 30 teams now. Minor league free agency, if you attack it the right way, is where you come up with players like Austin Nola, if your information is right. And in that case, our information was right. And uh, we also got a little lucky. But, you know, we are going through our minor league six-year free agents and, and player personnel meetings uh, here this coming week. We're also going through our, our baseball operations staffing meetings. You know, our minor league seasons just came to a, a close. Our scouting season is effectively now shifting toward 2020 as, as the 19 group wraps up with the draft and the July 2nd signings behind us. Uh, I think this is our chance to put in a planning process for 2020. And, you know, those are the things that are happening now. And we're even happening earlier today when the maestro rolled in and, and disrupted my meeting so oh. he could set up shop. Hey, way to go, Colin. That's great. I know. It was well executed. There was less swagger uh, with that than a great tweet. <laughs> a great tweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I bet it made it for a great Instagram story. It would have. It would have. <laughs> hey, I am... Really excited for the most ridiculous stump JD of all time. I don't know. I've had some really off the rail ones, but I see. I'm I'm still not over the fact that you nailed it the last time out, Jerry. And I told you I'd get you. And I think I'm gonna get you. Today. Okay. I, I'm certain that you're gonna get me, but I I'm love, gonna show unusual confidence and just hope that I can pull off the the, the Justin yes, Dunn break. Exactly. That's here. exactly what you should do. Uh, I love I love niche Grand Slam trivia, and this is very much that. Can you tell me, Jerry, the only player in baseball history, think about that, only player, but one guy in baseball history to hit a grand slam in both ends of a doubleheader? A grand slam in both ends of a doubleheader. I feel great about I, this I, already. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, can give you, I can give you a grand slam two in an inning. Oh, no, come, that, that is common. That is common knowledge. Yeah, I don't give, know this I'm gonna start. I'm going to start giving you some hints so okay. i think you, you might be able to get onto it grand slam both games doubleheader yeah the year was 1999 so okay. funnel your you know wow. funnel to that um these the, are my people yeah. the, i know yeah the best hint that i can give you probably is that you've before we recorded i was gonna say how do you know this i just looked it up really quick oh, okay 
maestro. Vladimir Guerrero. No, before... Oh. I'm trying to give you a hint here. Okay. Before we recorded, you said his name. What? You referenced his name in casual conversation. Today, before we... Yes, were... like 35 minutes ago. It's a and fantastic I was like, oh. college hitter. Robin Ventura. Yeah. Now, now, Sorry, wait, I, I hey, thought... Now, come. There's, Why, stick to the laptop. Right. All right. Sorry. I love the maestro. <laughs> you will not let me fail. Robin Ventura. The May best of, college hitter I ever saw. What was remember. his call? Well, by the way, what was his Oklahoma State history? It was like Oklahoma. I want to say it was like 60, 60 yeah, something. 62 games. Which it is like insane. every game of the year. Plus Roughly. maybe one of the on the other end. Okay. Yeah. His collegiate performance was absurd. And, and and not, I mean, batting average on base, you name it. Didn't strike out, hit home runs. Was a Gold Glove quality defender. Robin Ventura had a great big league career. That's a great. That's a great piece of trivia. Isn't that's it? an awesome piece of trivia. And 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 frankly, because I know that Robin Ventura is is prominent on the all time Grand Slam list, there's it. It stands to reason that he may have I been mean, you that know, guy. You never know. Yeah. There weren't a lot of double headers going on in 1999. So it's it's. Grand Slam is really tough to do it twice in a week. Is impossible. Is close to impossible to do it. In two games in one day. I mean, there would be great players that play careers without hitting a Grand Slam. Yeah, uh, Jeter had one Grand Slam. It's a tough thing to do. I think. Now, Pete Rose didn't hit a lot of home runs, but he had, I think I think Pete Rose had a Grand Slam. I mean, Blower Power had like a two lot. Grand Slams in like a in three days span or something like that. I got all the notes here. Whenever whenever Blow is is suffering with self esteem. I just I go straight to the Grand Slam list, and he loves it. He loves it. <laughs> we do it, we do it right before our live opens. He really gets him feeling good about himself. All right, let's get to some listener questions. As always, the wheelhouse at Mariners.com is where you can fire your questions away. This is from John via email. Uh, Jerry, he wants to know, when a player joins the team midseason via a trade or via promotion, what support do you offer off the field? Uh, are they met at the airport? Does the team help them find housing? What are the type of things that go on outside of the ballpark that the team helps to coordinate and lend a hand with? Uh, we're available for anything. You know, I guess in short, we generally do have a, a service set up. We get we contact we have contact with the player and determine how he's going to make his way to the field. Years ago, uh, when I first started this, it used to be that would send a car to the airport to pick him up. Now that the player will more often not just take an Uber to the ballpark, <laughs> uh, and you know that that's how they make their way to us. We have a pretty, I, I think, built out onboarding program that you know, starting with our our major league field coordinator, uh, currently Jared Sandberg, who will make sure that that we know as much as we can know about that player. So we may tap into our proprietary database. We're putting together a game plan for what we're going to do the day that player shows up. From any kind of, I guess, suggestions we have in terms of how the pitcher uses his arsenal, how the player situates, walking him through what the Mariners do, how we get ready for a game, the way we advance the the opponents, etc., at the minor league levels, it's even more extensive because we're taking younger players with less experience. So you know, we, we do take great care in that. We do help them set up a, a housing setup. We provide seven days in a hotel when they first get here. And in the, in the, in the midtime or the meantime, we do set them up with a local real estate agent. We take them or in, in some cases, uh, make sure that they are set up so that once their their hotel time runs up, they're during and we're not going to kick them out of the hotel. <laughs> but ordinarily, they're in a good place by the time that week's done. 
This is a, a pretty headsy question. I like this one from at Evan James Audio on Twitter. And to give this question some context, we know that Justice Sheffield started at AAA, went down to AA, and then went right from AA to the majors. He didn't go back up to AAA. So uh, Evan James Audio on Twitter would like to know how you feel, Jerry, about starting pitching prospects, how you feel about their time in AAA, given uh, simply the offensive environment that we've seen in the PCL and, to be fair, the International League this year as well. He's curious if Dunn and Gilbert in particular are slated for AAA time next season or if they'll be making the jump uh, right to the Major League rotation, whether that's out of camp or at some point further down the road. You know, this was a very challenging year to develop your your pitchers and really to develop players in in AAA with what happened in in the environment. And by that, I mean we started using Major League Baseballs for the very first time at the AAA level. And and I think the adjustment was made with the idea that we were going to, I guess, prepare our Major League players because they were using the baseball that they'll use the day they're called up. Uh, that was something that we negotiated in the last the last agreement with the Players Association. Everybody's on board with it. Uh, lo and behold, and this is not exclusive to the PCL. This is across AAA baseball. I think there was an increase in home runs of 54% this year. from So from 2018 to 2019, an absurd 2,100 more home runs hit this year than there were last, which is an incredible number. And I, the, the, I think the short answer to the question is that we're not afraid of AAA, especially because next year I think we're going to use the, the Major League Baseball in AA. So, oh, really? Yeah, and, and which is going to, to create the oh unknown. Uh, <laughs> I, so I, you just keep getting – all of a sudden the Cal League is the most neutral offense. It could very well baseball. happen. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen, but I know we have discussed the idea of using the Major League Baseball in, in AA at the AA level next year. Again, because you're going to have – prospects that are on your 40-man roster or who will play in the big leagues use the baseball and I don't really think there's anything unusual happening with the baseball I do think that league-wide we have we have discussed programs for how we'll store the baseballs so currently they use the humidors in in places like Colorado and Arizona where historically the ball travels more I think that is going to be more widely uh, used or accepted among the other 28 teams as we try to like normalize the the way the baseball travels, and I think that's going to happen in AAA and AA as well. I know we've talked about having one down in Tacoma for next year. Have you given much thought, uh, you, Justin Hollander, assistant general manager, anybody else in your department? Have you given much thought as to how you and, to be quite frank. Everybody else who does what you do for a living, how you will evaluate players this offseason given what we have seen with the way the ball is flying this year. And it's not just hitters, right? It's pitchers, too. They're on the other end of this. And how you view a guy with an outlier season, whether it's on a positive side as a hitter, on a negative side as a pitcher, because of the changes with what we have seen this year around baseball. I mean, how do you view it? You know, that's part of how the proprietary analysis really helps us is that, you know, a lot of what we view uh, now, the lens through which we view players, minor leaguers, is so different than than looking at the back of the baseball card. And, you know, you can fake a lot of things. I, we, we, I worked with a, a guy of some years back who used to reference seasons as, oh, it's a good year. Oh, that's a fake good year. There's just by looking at the way it happened, you know, generally speaking, the, the player who walks a little 
strikes out a lot and finds a way to hit the ball over the fence in a in a hitter friendly environment. Yeah, walk into the to the pool and, and test the water before you really take a dive. The the guy who walks a lot, you know, strikes out a little, hits the ball over the fence and does other things. Yeah, take a dive. It's a, that's a real skill set. Now we're able to look at anything from how the, how hard they hit the ball, where they're swinging because the the satellite analysis allows TrackMan allows us to to govern are they swinging at strikes are they picking good pitches to hit and i don't care if you're hitting on the moon or you're hitting below sea level if you hit the ball hard there's you can you're managing that so we're looking a little bit more at like pulling the string and figuring out the process how does it happen you know are they swinging at good pitches are they hitting it hard are they using the field much more so than the actual levels of productivity, which may now vary wildly depending on the, where you're playing and then in what time. The PCL in, in the calmest of times is a very offensive league, but what we saw this year was just impossible to manage if we were only to, to manage information and, and not the information, the statistics, rather than the measurables. It's been like something that we – I mean, you, I assume that when – Nobody, nobody saw this coming. Nobody expected this. No, no yeah. way. Okay. Well, I, I can't wait till uh, you are keeping guys in Modesto for a whole season, pitchers, so that, and then just everybody's going right from Modesto to Seattle because that's the one place where you know that you can all of a sudden not give up thirty home runs in a month. And listen, Modesto is no walk I in know. the park. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, that's <laughs> like, an like offensive environment. Seems like a really great place to be. <laughs> Well, this has been a ton of fun, Jerry. Uh, we thank you as always. Again, we are recording this right before game one of the uh, six-game homestand. The Reds and the White Sox come to town. We've got a Mariners value game presented by BECU. You can snag view level and bleacher seats for just 15 bucks. And, of course, we've got Ichiro weekend just around the corner, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Ichiro fireworks night on Friday. And then, Jerry, uh, the very special pregame presentation to Ichiro. And we hope you can find your seat by 545 for a 610 first pitch on Saturday. Uh, this will be a chance for Mariners fans who obviously uh, did not make the pilgrimage to Tokyo, have a chance to say goodbye to Ichiro on U.S. soil for a final time. It'll be, uh, I would imagine, a, a pretty emotional weekend for a lot of folks. I, I know it will. And, and the fact that Ichiro will be out there, as I understand, he's going to say a few words, which is uh, is pretty exciting for me And he is he is remarkable to spend time with, and his, and his his baseball IQ. You, you mentioned baseball savant as a website. There's he is a bit of a baseball savant, and you know spending time around him has been uh, something I've enjoyed. And the chance to kind of bid him adieu in in his home park. I'm sure it's not the last time we're going to be celebrating each year on the field, but this is the the one where it's fresh, where he's going to be wearing a Mariners uniform while he's standing out there, and you have a chance to say goodbye. Should be fun. With batting gloves, I would almost guarantee it. Yeah, I would almost guarantee. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking I'm I'm going to be disappointed. If yeah, I, I I it would be the first time I've seen. <laughs> gloves. Well, all right. Thanks once again, Jerry. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, man. I always enjoy. It. <laughs>